You're listening to The Horse Ownership Experience with Billy Koch and Michelle Yu. Not this time. Giants Causeway's most brilliant two-year-old ever and America's fastest juvenile in 2016. Ran a four and three-quarter Ragazin in the Grade 1 Breeders' Cup Juvenile, faster than Classic Empire, and his 102 buyer equaled Classic Empire. Dominated the Grade 3 Iroquois Stakes at Churchill by eight and three-quarter lengths over eventual Kentucky Derby runner-up, looking at Lee. Not this time, full of run in the Iroquois. Not this time, standing at TaylorMade Stallions. Welcome to the Horse Ownership Experience on a Tuesday, January 14th. I'm Billy Koch, the founder and managing partner of the Little Red Feather Racing Club. This is a brand new show, brand new format, well, somewhat new format. Uh, Michelle Yu is joining me as always. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you, Billy. Same um, show, different MO. Same show, different MO. And we're going to get right to it, right to our guests this week. We, instead of, we're going to do our stuff after all our race recaps and all the fun stuff that's going on in horse racing in 2020. But we have Jason Beam on the line, one of my favorite people in the game. Beam, Beamy, Beamer, welcome to the show. Hi, Billy. Hi, Michelle. It's good to be with you both. Now, you're a professional podcaster. Michelle and I am not by sure. By trade. Yeah, by, by trade. By yes. trade. That is, your, that is one of your uh, gigs. You also uh, announce races. Uh-huh. Uh, you're probably a handicapper. And there's, you, there's some times, yes. And you're this world traveler. You, you're, you're a massive Twitter. <laughs> like, you go everywhere. You take pictures. Like, what is this, Jay? Who are you? Yeah, I... I, I <laughs> A friend of mine actually asked me, he goes, what's your actual career? And I go, well, I said, I, I do a podcast. So, well, my LinkedIn, uh, there was a time I was an Uber driver too. Yeah, but my uh, my LinkedIn page, Billy, says content creator. And I so like that's that. what that's what I go with as my, uh, my official uh, job title. But uh, yeah, I mean, as much as it's kind of not the greatest thing in the world, like in racing, you have to put together a couple jobs to uh, to make a full-time living. Yeah, absolutely. But Jason, more importantly, let's go back in time. How did you, you, you come to this sport that we all love, everybody on this this podcast? Um, what what was your introduction? How did you fall in love with uh, the game of horse racing? I uh, I was born in Renton, Washington, which is about I was born the hospital I was born at was about two miles from Old Long Acres Racecourse, which was uh, a great racetrack from the early 1930s through 1992. And so as a little kid, my dad was a, a better, and so I, I grew up going to the track as a you know watching him bet, and I'd go play on the toys, and then when it was post time, I'd run out and watch the race. And so uh, grew up going to the track there like i had favorite horses my my dad used to play poker with a couple guys that were trainers mike chambers was one of them who's a very good trainer and uh and uh chambers owed my dad a favor and so so he let me come back and ride on some of his horses and uh my favorite horse as a little kid was a horse named fascal rascal which is a great name and uh and uh, but he was a terrible horse, I guess. But uh, I, Chambers got it, so I got to like ride Fascal Rascal when I was like three years old. So I still have the picture. I got my jockey hat on and my whip and my dad. I, I, I you know, you, have, you know how you get those random memories from your childhood. I still remember my dad saying, "Don't whip the horse," because he was. I was so- just gonna say, like, he let you sit on a horse with a whip. That's yeah, I'll, 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 I'll send you guys the picture afterwards. Yes, we want it. We're posting but, it. Uh, yeah, but I mean, just you know, grew up going to the races with dad, and that was that was kind of our connection. And um, 
when Am- or when Long Acres closed, I kind of got away from it for a few years. I was a teenager. I was into baseball and, you know, social life and stuff. And so when Emerald reopened, I was 16 or when, I, when Emerald opened, I should say. Um, and we started going a little bit. But when my dad got sick, he had uh, melanoma when I was in college. And like his last summer of being alive, I would come down every weekend from college and take him to Emerald. And so when he passed away that summer of 01, I kind of just kept going. And, uh, and actually, a couple of years later when I was uh, done with my schooling, I, I call, I, I, there's a guy at Emerald named Victor the Predictor, which is one of the great nicknames of all time for a handicapper. And uh, I like Victor, I think my mom advertised on Victor's radio show, like her business. And so I, I emailed Victor, I go, do you know, is Emerald hiring for anything? And he sends me an email back, says, yeah, they need a, a turf rider. And I go, God, that's perfect. I got an English degree. I know racing. And so I went and applied and, and got the job. The guy told me, he said he had interviewed five people. And he said three of them knew a ton about racing but couldn't write a sentence. And two of them knew how to write but knew nothing about racing. And so that was how I uh, separated myself. And that was my first gig in the sport. That was uh, 04. Wow. That was a long, wow. That was the year we won the Breeders' Cup. I mean, I don't want to throw that out. Oh, oh did you win the Breeders' Cup, Billy? Really? Yeah, well, in oh. 2004. But we're not going to talk. We're not talking about me, Michelle. But it wasn't talk- at Long Acres. It was not at Long Acres. It was at Lone Star. Let, oh, let's, let's move on because there's something else that you have become also an announcer, which yeah. I, I have to tell you a quick story. Michelle, I don't know if I ever told you this. When I was, I think I just got out of college or maybe, no, it was probably during college, I decided that I wanted to be an announcer. Did you guys know that? No, we yeah. do now. So I, I had my grandfather had this little microphone thing and I took my binoculars and I took the microphone and I went to Del Mar by myself one day. I mean, I was probably 18 mm-hmm. and tried to just announce the races. I have to tell you guys, it was the biggest fail of all time. I was horrible. It is the hardest thing to do. Beam, how did you become an announcer and, and what are the tricks of the trade? And wait, do you like being called an announcer or do you like race caller? Oh, sorry. I like announcer. Ah, uh, there you go. Okay. See, Michelle. To me, to me, race caller. I mean, either one is fine. I just always have said to me, race caller or commentator uh, is, is generally for the like you know the overseas guys usually go by that. Um, right. But I don't, I don't, I don't. I mean, I always just say announcer. Do you remember calling your first race and and how oh, hard yeah, it was? Yeah. So I did the same thing you did, by the way. Uh, I when I I was the the two thousand five American Oaks, uh, Vic Stoffer's call of Cesario. One of my favorite calls ever. Uh, I remember watching it in the quarter shoot cafe at Emerald and the hair on my arm stood up like the horse. It was an amazing performance, but the call was just so good and so well timed. Uh, it just, call, huh? I, I'm telling you, Vic was my guy. And uh, and this particular I mean, that call, it's, it's still on YouTube. I could do the whole stretch call. For oh, you, no, but- we're going to add it. No, we're going to add it to the <laughs> podcast. This is new, so- new and improved. Uh, that's right. You can uh, you when you punch in audio later now. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And so the next day I went and got binoculars and I would go to Emerald Downs and I would just kind of sit in the stands and, and practice doing it. And, you know, from listening to it for years and listening to the guys do it and, and Robert Geller and Gary Henson, who was the announcer at Long Acres, you know, I, I just had that that kind of staccato and that, uh, you know, that the way that they do it in my head. And so um, as I practiced, I, I finally I gave my tape to Robert Geller and that because I, I was, you know, I had the little clip on you know, 1995 tape recorder and, uh, and cheap binoculars. And Geller was really supportive. Like he was just like, you can do this and you need to practice and keep going. And, you know, he was just really uh gun hold back. Cause I was so scared to give him my tape. Right. Cause you know, he's sure. a 
professional and he's probably going to be like, go away, kid. But he was <laughs> he was so encouraging. And so when Portland started that next year, because Portland and Emerald were kind of on a circuit, uh, I started going down to Portland and I would stand up on the roof there and it would just be pouring rain every day. And But I would go out and practice and I would call every race into my little tape recorder. And then I would go sit in the Equibase room between races to, to get dry and to start memorizing the field. And Mike O'Brien, who was the announcer there, he took note that I was coming down every weekend and I was practicing and he goes, all right, you're going to do the next race. Gave me literally Whoa. 10 minutes, 10 minutes of warning. It was, Whoa. it was, wow. they were two minutes from coming onto the track and he goes, you're doing the next race. I go, what? He goes, yep. I talked to the management. They, they wanted, you know, cause the management guys had kind of seen what I was doing. And so they were real supportive too. And, uh, so he, so I got on the mic and Portland, you had to open the window. And so you would hear the speakers. So it wasn't some rooms you're inside. You don't really know you're on. And I remember when they came onto the track for the post parade, I was like, you know, the, and I, and you know, when you're first starting out, you're trying to sound like an announcer. So I'm like, the horses are coming onto the track for the horse. Right now. Instead of just, yeah, I can see it. The horses oh, are coming onto the exactly. track for the fourth race. And so, you know, you're trying, you're trying, and, and when you're younger, your voice is higher anyways. Like, you know, as you, you listen to even Larry Colmas's calls from 10 or 15 years ago, and he doesn't sound the same. I mean, he, it's your voice just deepens as you get older. But, um, I remember that, that race, the horse that won was named a colt named Sue, like the, uh, the Johnny Cash song, a boy named Sue, but <laughs> okay. it was a colt named Sue. And it was trained by a friend of mine, a guy named Ben Root, uh, and what the only thing I remember about it was when they were going to the gate, my hands were shaking so bad that I pinned my arm against the wall to try to stabilize it. And then as they went into the far turn, I just totally ran out of air because I wasn't breathing because I was just so nervous and try, go, going way too fast. Sure. And, and so by the time they turned for home, I kind of stopped and just did a... <gasps> Okay, here's so you know, and a cult named Sue gets up to win it, and and it went okay. And I remember when I got off of it, I was like, oh god, I screwed that up a little bit, you know. I, the I was all beating myself up, and everybody was real encouraging, and they let me do another two races, like two weeks later, and then sometime in February of '06, Mike was sick, and so I got to fill in for a whole day, and I absolutely butchered the fifth and sixth races, like. <laughs> Billy, I, I would, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding when I say this. I would pay some serious money to find the replay of the fifth race of that day because in the race, my inner monologue spoke out loud and I mocked myself in the middle of a call. Oh, it, was, it was, it was like I got to the fourth place horse and then I said, it's a gap of three lengths and it was maybe a half. I mean, the other horse was right on the fourth place horse's right. hip. And I literally go, it's a gap of three lengths. And then I pause, I go, three lengths? And then <laughs> you said it out loud. That's brilliant. Oh, yeah. And the Portland general manager called and he goes, uh, next time, if you're wanting to say something that's, you know, not part of the call, don't say it. Right. <laughs> goes, right that's here. genius. And so then, and then I, and then I missed a horse in the sixth race, like completely. And so what I did was I called the TV guys and I said, I need to make a demo tape. I said, can you uh, make a DVD of the first four races on the car? <laughs> and so, uh, so, cause I, so I sent out, there was three tracks that were looking for people. Grants Pass, which was the one I really wanted because it was kind of close to home. And uh, Great Lakes Downs and River Downs were the three that were looking for guys that at that point for the summer meets. And so I sent DVDs to all of them. I sent a letter saying, hey, you know, I know I'm pretty inexperienced. I've been practicing for a year. Uh, I got to call four races the other day, even though I called 10. Uh, you know, here's my DVD. And, and I put, uh, there was a guy named Greg Boomer Rye, who was a caller at Yavapai. And he had called me on a couple of occasions because he knew our chart guy at portland that was trying to help me out and uh so he, you know he, he kind of gave me some advice and he listened to my tapes and stuff so he was kind of my reference at the time and uh i remember it was like 
end of February, it, it all happened pretty quick. I, I was out playing poker all night till like four in the morning, got back, woke up at noon the next day, went to my computer. I had five emails from Boomer. The first one was like, hey, give me a call. Second one was like, hey, where are you at? Give me a call. Third one's like, where the bleep oh, are you? No. And then the fifth one was like, call Brian at River Downs now. Oh, <laughs> and so and you got I it. Call, I called Brian DeYoung and he didn't, I, I had talked to him on the phone. He called when he got the DVD like three days before and he just kind of asked a few questions and he called and he just goes, do you want it? That was the first, that was how he opened the sentence or opened the conversation. I was like, yeah. And he goes, don't you want to know what it pays? I go, I don't care. <laughs> I just want it. Who are the, who are, who are your main influences in, in, in announcing uh, uh, Jason? I'm just curious. Who, who Vic, Vic was for Vic. sure. Uh, just cause like, I loved like those big bombastic, you know, Zenyatta calls and, sure. you know, I, I, Tom Durkin, of course, you know, he's the best. So he's everybody's influence. Um, I think the guys that I, I don't know that I took my style after everybody, but I think the guys I would compare myself to maybe the most is maybe Dave Rodman. Cause I kind of try to get a lot of information out pretty quickly uh, and, and try to really be as accurate as I can. I think that Dave is a model of, of consistency in that. And, and every once in a while he'll throw in some fun stuff. I, I, you know, I, I try to stay away from a lot of that in my race calling, which, you know, most people know my personality. I'm a little bit lighthearted and goofy and stuff. But when it comes to calling the races, I don't like to, sure. to mess around too much. But I also think that on the rare occasions that I do, it actually provides some, you know, some, some impact as opposed to if you're out there making goofy calls every day. Jason Beam joining us on the Horse Ownership Experience. Michelle, I have one more, I have one more question, then I'll turn it over to you because there's – I read an article recently published in the Blood Horse that, yeah, and if if anybody's out there listening, you can tell what kind of guy Jason Beam is. He's fun loving. He loves the sport. He's easy going. But you battled um, some depression, some anxiety along the way uh, to the point where you had to lay. Down. I read something that you were laying down on the announcer's booth where you just couldn't take it anymore. I mean, how, that's tough to get through. What what kind of brought you out? That was one of the worst days of my life, Billy. I'll tell you what. Uh, it was it was it was Big Brown's Derby Day. Uh, my second year at River, I, I was at River Downs 06, 07, and the first part of 08. Uh, the first year went incredible. It was like one of the best years of my life. It was like new job, you know, new city, all this kind of stuff. Uh, the middle of the second year, I had always battled the anxiety stuff for a few years. I'd never dealt with depression issues. And then out of nowhere, it was just like it hit me like a Mack truck. And I kind of had to work through that second year of, you know, seeing a counselor or doing all this other stuff. And when I went back for the third year, it was like it just all started happening again, and I didn't know why. And I was, you know, it's almost like in the off season when I was back at Portland, I was, you know, around more family and friends, and just kind of had a more of a social network. And I'd get to Ohio, and I would just isolate myself. And uh, and, and so the first cut because River would start like you know early mid April, like April tenth or something. And the first few weeks, it was just, I mean, it was just awful. And it kind of culminated on that Derby day. And I mean, I was just sobbing between races and I bought the air mattress because I couldn't like if you've ever battled with depression, it's a weird thing that like it's not that you just don't have energy or you just don't have motivation or you're just sad like it. You literally feel I mean, just, you know, getting up is difficult. Right. Like you, you lay in bed that the term I've heard a lot of people say over the years uh, is the it feels like the blanket weighs like 10,000 pounds. Like you just can't get up. It's not that you don't want to. You sure. just can't. And uh, and I, I was experiencing that during the races and. Um, I remember that if you go, if you go to, if you can find replays for that day, I don't know if you can or not, but if you listen to the seventh race, which was the second to last race, I paused about three separate times in the race because I'm, I'm choking up still. I like, I can't even just, you know, I'm not functioning. And 
I talked with Maggie Moss about this one time, uh, not on the air, off the air, because she owned the horse that won that race. And we were uh, we were talking just off the air about something else, and, and we brought that up. And she's like, I remember that. And, uh, but after but after that was over, I, I called Vince, uh, who was our simulcast guy, and I just said, I don't I don't know that I could do this anymore, at least right now. And so I, I went to the hospital. He came up and did the eighth race. Um, I didn't. I didn't go to work for a couple days. They they told me just to try to you know hang out, chill out, whatever, and uh, it just wasn't getting better. So I, I called River Downs and I, I gave him my resignation. And I kind of figured I was done. I because I didn't. I didn't really totally know what was going on. Like sure. I, I knew. I knew that it was anxiety, but I didn't get the depression thing. Like it was just so different and it was just so awful. And so, uh, so I moved home and then Portland actually offered me a year round position pretty shortly after that. And I was kind of comfortable with that idea because I knew people down there. Plus it was honestly, it was going to give me health insurance, <laughs> which, <laughs> you know, that was, that was the one time in racing I had health insurance was when I worked at Portland Meadows full time. But, um, you know, it, with Portland, it was a lot of on and off years like that. What, you know, sometimes it would be going good and everything was fine. And then, you know, other times it was, it was not going so good. And I was doing pretty good in 2014. And so I, uh, I applied and got the job at Louisiana Downs and the minute I got back down there, it was just, it was, you know, same behavior, same, uh, you know, doing things the same way kind of led to the same result. And so when I, uh, was fortunate enough to get some of these opportunities I had in the last year, you know, I, I kind of went in with a plan. I knew I had to go be as social as I could. I had to go meet people. I had to go do things. I had to become invested in whatever community I was going to be in because sitting in that hotel room alone is just not a recipe for success for me. Well, we are, I know I speak for Michelle and I speak for a lot of the horse racing world when we're glad to have you back. And, and it's, it's something that's never easy and, and I've never experienced it. So I can't speak from experience, but I know people who have, and it, it like you said, it, it's not easy and it takes a strong person to battle back. Uh, Michelle, you still around? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell us about kind of the the re the reemergence of Jason Bean then. <laughs> well, I don't I don't know that I ever went away. I mean, I actually I did go away because when I left Louisiana Downs, I was you know kind of out of racing. Um, so it's it's interesting when I when I left Louisiana Downs, I was kind of struggling with the same issues. But the Emerald Downs announcing job came open, which was the only job I ever wanted. You know, the hometown track and da 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 da. And so I remember they so they asked me to interview. And we were between meets at Louisiana Downs, so I had like a month till the thoroughbred meet started. So I said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to drive back there because I wanted to interview in person and really sell that, hey, I, I'm the guy for this and da-da-da-da-da. And so drove back cross country, went into the interview. The first thing the guy says is, you know, we're really hoping some young people or women or, or some other – we just want to do something real different with this position. And I said, okay, well, I'm – I'm toast. <laughs> so, <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a yeah. second. What does well, that mean? And, and now, you're not now, toast. To their, to, to you're their, young and, and women like you. Well, to their credit, to their credit, they hired Matt Dinnerman, who's gone on to become a very good announcer and is at Golden Gate Fields. And I'm really proud of Matt. And I remember be, you know, I was very bitter at the time because I'm like, I've been paying my dues for 10 years and this kid just stormed, you know, but uh, he's handled the whole thing with remarkable class. And so I always, I always give Matty a shout out when I tell the story, but uh yeah, so I, yeah, I, I Ubered for uh, like seven or eight months. I, I, I'd always had a little side job in Portland auditing restaurants, so I was doing that and looking for like regular jobs. And uh, I had quit Twitter. Well, that's so wait. I want to stop you right there because okay. Twitter has been an important part of your life. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, well, so, so career, a uh, career and life. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. So you quit Twitter at that point. Yeah. And yeah, what? I was just I was just ashamed of because I, I had done the first Beamy Awards like three months before, 
And I was, I was honest, I was just so, so ashamed with how everything went down at Louisiana Downs, and I didn't want, uh, you know, I didn't want anybody to see me, so so to speak. And so I very much, just, you know, I, isolated myself. You know, you became a recluse home. a little bit. Exactly, yeah. very much so. And uh, I was doing my Uber, and I was anonymous, and it was, it was, it was however I was living. And uh, I decided. In like November of that year, I was like, you know what? I'll do the Beamies again. It was fun, and it'll be kind of fun to go back on Twitter and stuff. And so I did them. And like a week later, uh, I was looking through jobs, and there was a job at Bet America. They were hiring a VIP coordinator. VIP uh, Michelle, what's the title? VIP manager. VIP manager. So I applied. <laughs> the first thing, the first person I talked to was a guy named Pete Laverick. He's a racing executive. You might have heard of him. Um, that's an inside joke with me and Michelle. Sorry. I can tell. But uh, Pete, the first thing he gets on the phone, he goes, oh, I read your book. And I go, oh, great. Well, this will be a short interview. <laughs> it's always a short interview with you. Yeah. yeah. And so, I read but, your book, by the way, and I like it. Well, so the funny thing was, though, so we get a little further into the interview process, and they're telling me the job, and they said, you know, you got to be able to fly and travel. And I go, I don't do any of that. So I pulled out of the job, out of consideration for it. And they called me back the next, like two days later, and Pete goes, I don't care about the VIP job for the U. He goes, he goes, I want to do something with you though. He goes, and he literally told me, he goes, pitch me a job. He goes, if you could do a job for us, pitch me. And I said, I'd love to do radio. I like doing podcasts. So, uh, we literally agreed to do it and signed on and started doing shows like a week and a half later. And then, of course, two months later, they hired Michelle for the VIP manager. (laughs) Michelle, see how that worked? It actually worked out for you. It did. It worked out for me completely. We have to go backwards, though, because the Beamy Awards are big. I mean, they really are. And I don't know if our audience, Michelle, will understand quite what the Beamy Awards are. So, uh, Jason. I I still don't understand quite what the Beamy Awards are. Okay. Take us back to the start. And then, uh, Michelle, you may not know this, but Little Red Feather is the major sponsor. Yes, it's the title sponsor. I know. I did hear that you were thinking about hosting it, too, but that they said no. Well, yeah. no, I'm way too boring to do that. Billy's, okay. Billy's behind the scenes. Yeah, guy, yeah. exactly. So but, I hear uh, the babies. Michelle is home. Michelle, mute your phone so that uh, we could hear about the Beamy Awards. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it was right before I took the job at Louisiana Downs. I just thought it would be funny. Like, racing Twitter is its own little universe, and it's, uh, you know, it's comical, but it's crazy as well. And I thought it would be funny to do just kind of a spoof award show on it and, you know, give awards for like the best fight and the best insult and, you know, dumb stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and so I didn't like promote it or anything. And I just like literally a day before I said, Hey, I'm going to do an award show tomorrow. We're going to call it the Beamies. <laughs> and it, and I figured, you know, the few hundred people that followed me would think it was fun. And then maybe that was it. And so I did it and it was right. It was literally, I took the job. I got it. I think it was announced that I got the Louisiana Downs announcing job like a week before. And I remember thinking like, maybe I shouldn't do this. They're going to think they hired a goofball, which Lord knows they found out. Um, <laughs> So, but, but, it, but, it, but I did it the first year and it went really well. And so then when I did it that second year after being off Twitter, it went really well. And like it trended nationally. I remember the, yeah, that's incredible. Let me stop you. Like yeah. to trend nationally with a Beamy awards for horse, it's like a mockery <laughs> of horse racing. Yeah. That's gotta be saying something. What is it? I don't know much about Twitter. Yeah. Uh, wait, wait, it's not statistics. a mockery of horse racing, right? It's a mockery no. of Twitter. It's a okay, mockery of Twitter. I'm sorry. It, it, I take what it, it really is, yeah, it, it's a spoof. It's a, com- it's a spoof. I always tell people it's not an award show, it's a comedy show. Sure. The whole but it's just in an award show format. And the whole goal is just to make people laugh at some funny things. And and a lot of the awards, I mean 
people, I, it was so funny. I was at, when I was at Gulfstream West this last year, Kelly Breen comes up to me, you know, multiple graded stakes winning trainer. He goes, how do I win a beanie? Tom Amos <laughs> came up to me at the dirt, at the Oaks draw, Billy, at the Oaks draw. That's amazing. He, I went to introduce myself because I had had him on the podcast. I go, Hey Tom, my name's Jason Beam. And he stopped me and he goes, how do I get one of them awards? <laughs> they don't even know what it's for. That's, exactly. Is that, is that the like number one question that you get asked when, yeah. when you call people to do the podcast? It's really? Yeah. It's, it's peculiar. And it's, I always tell them, I go, there's no, there's no meritocracy to it. Like literally half of the, it's just, if it's something I think is funny or I can make funny, it's It wins an award. Like the, it's, there's no, there's no who, what, or where. And, and like I, I tell, you know, if, when I, whenever somebody's like, oh, how do I win? I go, you don't want to win an award. Like, just enjoy no. the show. Just yeah. just follow along for two hours. We so make it's kind of like winning a raspberry, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, but there's like, good... give us an example. Like last year, I know you did something with Steve Asmussen's hair. You no, had that, a, that, that what was, was, what was that? that was, well, so we do a, every year we do a best photo to Photoshop. And so there was this great photo that uh, Emily Shields took of Steve Asmussen walking into the Del Mar paddock, his beautiful locks flowing in the sea breeze and he was kind of looking to the side and it was just it was such a great picture as it was but it was also hilarious if you cut him up and put him in a different scenario so like we put him on the titanic you know where they're the movie shot where they're in the wind the best one though is we found a romance novel called texas touch and put steve's hair you know because his hair at the time i mean it just looked like this beautiful oh, yeah. romance novel man you know oh, so yeah. uh and like, so like I said, like, you know, did Emily do anything? You know, yeah, she took a good picture, but like, you know, we can make it funny. Therefore it becomes an award. And so, and people like, if you, it's what kills me is like real legitimate, actual racing people, not like me, but like, you know, real accomplished folks, like they'll have in their bio on Twitter, like be me award winner. And it just, it makes me laugh. That's awesome. And by the uh, way, you are an accomplished oh, horse racing person. So, you know, the self-deprecation doesn't fly here. I am. No, I am very, very accomplished. <laughs> um, when are the Beamy Awards? The Beamy Awards are Friday night, the uh, the seventeenth. We always generally have done it in December. Uh, I got busy with the Gulfstream West fill in last year, so we moved it back to January. And I think it's kind of found a home. Usually about a week in front of the Eclipse Awards, and I don't mean to take away from the Eclipse Awards or to be, you know, it's just it's award season, Billy. You're a Hollywood guy, you, you know that. Yeah, Yo, you got it. Like, listen, when we first talked about doing this, you said I feel like I'm oversaturated. There's yeah. too much beamy. Too Let me tell you beamy something this- from the Hollywood guy. There's no, there's never too much promotion oh. for yourself. Tell me, how do people? What do they do? They just well, follow it, you on did, Twitter. Uh, has Mattress Matt called to? try to take over the head title sponsorship from yes. oh no 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 mattress max uh, i think he's focusing on actual racing events yes uh, but, everything uh, is run happy these days but how does someone what do they do they just follow you yeah just follow me it's at beamy awards everything kind of germinates from my account so okay. i'll post the, like the awards are actually linked to like little blog posts on my website but if you just follow at beamy awards the other thing that that a lot of people do is they'll open up a couple different twitter browsers and one of them they'll just put the hashtag beamy awards because i tell everybody if you're if you're watching it if you're talking about it or if i'm doing it hashtag at beamy awards so a everything you can find everybody's post under the same hashtag and then b some people you know they actually have lives and go out and do things so they can kind of come back and i I also say they can watch it on demand by clicking on the hashtag (laughs) and it's free it's just twitter hashtag beamy awards it's b-e-e-m-i-e yes that's correct 
Okay, yeah. perfect. Jason Beam, what a delight. Thank you for coming on, and thank you for teaching me how to do a podcast by myself. I, we should actually tell people why we have Jason Beam on, because he is not, as far as I know, a racehorse owner. No, yeah, we, we wanted to have Beam on because Michelle and I wanted to start doing more with the podcast, and we're doing it ourselves. And uh, Jason Beam, who does this ama amazing show on uh, – Bet America or no Twin Spires now? No, it's no longer now. Yeah, Twin Spires. it used to be the Bet America Radio Network. All right, but, but now it's Twin Spires, and I've been on a couple times. Michelle is on. It's a great podcast, um, and yep. uh, he taught me what to do. So I I wanted to pay back the favor. To be honest, now can I say, Billy, I have owned racehorses on oh. a few occasions. Oh, well, tell us about it. I have. I have owned horses. I've owned one horse that ran at Portland Meadows, two that have run at Emerald Downs. And of course, this last year, we had Beamy Award the horse that Jeff Bloom named after me. Jeff gave me a percentage. So I was going to ask, did he give you a share of him? That's oh, awesome. Let me tell you, Jeff paid for my Christmas this year. That is amazing. <laughs> but, so uh, he, wait, does he, he doesn't charge you anything, though, does he? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it was a gift. It was it was incredible. But, Billy, let me tell you my, my bad ownership story. It was yes, my first ownership story. I was in college, a buddy of mine in my fraternity, University of Washington, his brother, uh, Ben Root, who's the guy whose horse won the first race I called, uh, he was a trainer at Portland. And I was telling his brother, I said, you know, I'd love to own a horse. He goes, well, call my brother. So I call him and Ben says, actually, we're claiming a horse on Monday uh, at Portland uh, named Global Arena. So I look up the PPs. He had run fourth on the grass at Gulfstream for like 62,500, only beaten like a length, got a good buyer. And then he didn't. Then he was like he dropped him down once and then didn't see him for a few months. And now he's at Portland in for thirty two hundred. And so I figured that, well, obviously, he's still in peak physical condition and they're just trying to steal one. So so we claim this horse for thirty two hundred. He runs off the screen like just jogs. Wow. And I was going to originally buy ten percent after watching him thunder down the lane many lengths in front. I told Ben, I said, Ben, let's double that to twenty percent. So I cut Ben a check for six hundred and forty dollars and about a, three weeks later, Ben calls me, hey, we're going to run this Saturday, first time, now one or two. Uh, we're going to do an allowance, though. We don't want to lose him, especially after he ran so good. I said, okay, great. Now, allowance to 3200 at Portland, it ain't the gap that it is sure. in Southern California. So I'm like, great. So Ben calls me the morning of. He goes, uh, we got a scratch. I go, what happened? He goes, well, there was a little medication issue. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I said, okay. Oh, no. So he runs back a week or two later. He runs seventh, runs ninth, runs fourth. We end up we sell him at the end of the meet for eight hundred dollars to a guy who's passed away now. But anyways, but at the time, so the guy sold it and then he turned around and sold it to his own owner, his only owner, for fifteen hundred. That guy did well. <laughs> so he made eight hundred Wow, that is quite the, quite the investment. Yeah. So so but but I will say at Emerald, both the horses that we claimed at Emerald, uh, you know, like we claimed for five, they'd run third a second and then get claimed back. So we kind of broke even on those. And then uh Beamy award was a, was a certainly a winner for me. Cause I didn't have to pay a nickel, but there you go. Well, let, uh, but did I, Jeff we, ask you if he could name a horse Beamy award or he, he just you know, called you and say, you know what? He reserved the name the day after last year's awards. And, uh, and he told me he wanted to, to save it for a good one. And then he named it. So he named this horse that the horse ran. Okay. First started Oaklawn. Then he won a maiden special at Oaklawn, which is like a $90,000 race. And uh, it did it wire to wire, got an 83 buyer speed figure. Me and Jeff were on the phone talking about all the grade threes we were going to win in the next couple months. And then after that, he just uh, he just didn't have the same drive and ended up getting claimed for, I think, 10. 
and he's just started working again for the new connections, uh, a trainer named John Cox, who I'm not familiar with, but uh, started uh, working at Oakland. So I think the trainer thinks he's an Oakland specialist. Which right. Very is. cool. Wait, what yeah. about what about this sliding door moment? Um, what if Jeff Bloom named Midnight Bisu uh, Beamy Awards? Then I'd probably be on my way to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Team, would you really get on a plane to Saudi Arabia just to no. like? Michelle, I wouldn't get on a plane to Wenatchee, Washington. Yeah, that, I was God wondering like if like, maybe you have like overcome the plane thing. Well, I, I did get on a plane. I, I flew from Van, uh, Vancouver, B.C. to Nanaimo, B.C. last March. And if you go to my YouTube channel, uh, you, you can find it. I did a whole video about it. It was a 25-minute flight. Uh, I did okay, and I, I feel better about the idea of flying now. I, my goal, One of my goals in 2020 is to get on an actual jet jet. Well, I'll go, why don't I go with you? Well, I'm going to be in Vegas together. in a couple of weeks, Billy. Yeah, I will. I, I got I a go meeting with my agent. I got a meeting with my agent. Gary I, I feel like Billy uh, should take you to the cabin. I'll tell you what. I'll come up to Vegas for that, and then I'll fly back to L.A. or something with you, and we'll do it together. Yeah, I'm going to go to Santa Anita right after NHC, Billy. So okay. I'll, I'll, I'll see you both. We'll, we'll, see. We'll, fi we'll figure something out. Maybe it's something we do in the summer. We'll tie it into the okay. show. But Beam it. already doesn't want to do it. He's like, no, no this sounds like a horror. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, if, I, if I go back east, <laughs> all the flights are way shorter back there. Yeah, so I got Because yeah. believe me, I'm going to be holding LA to, or Vegas to LA is 45 only 45 minutes. minutes. Yeah, I know. Billy, as sad as this is, I can tell you exactly what the shortest domestic flights are because I spent a lot of time. That is it sad. Up. That is sad. Jason there's Beam. Actually, there's a San Francisco to Santa Rosa flight, 16 minutes. Perfect. Jason Three Beam, we're doing a 16 minute flight together. We're going to do a lot of stuff together. <laughs> Look out for the Beamy Awards this Friday, uh, January 17th. Follow him, hashtag Beamy Awards at Beamy Awards. Always a pleasure talking to you, buddy. And we're wishing you the best in 2020. And, uh, Really, really appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. It's always fun to speak with both of you. That's Jason. Thanks, team. As Bean. a as a as a as a uh, co Pete find, we're like brother and sister. <laughs> oh, he loves to remind us too. I'm gonna hear this story when Beam's off the air. I'll see you There's guys. No story. Just because Pete Pete brought us both up under his little wing. All yeah. Right. Well, we're and then, gonna... and then he and then he left us. <laughs> we're gonna get back to the horse ownership experience in a second. Thanks, Beamer. Midnight Storm, a brilliantly fast grade one winner by Pioneer of the Nile. Mike Smith just points him in the right direction. Midnight Storm dominating. Millionaire and seven-time graded stakes winner on dirt and turf. Midnight Storm over accelerators, finding the line well, but not well enough. And Midnight Storm has taken it by two lengths. From America's hottest sire line. Midnight Storm, he wins it this year. Midnight Storm, standing at TaylorMade Farm. Back here on the Horse Ownership Experience, Michelle, Jason Beam, I just had a big smile on my face the whole time. Yeah, right? I know. <laughs> he just tells the best stories, and he's so funny to listen to regardless. How does he remember everything? That's the amazing <laughs> part. I mean, he's no, pulling it's out not. names. It's like when you and... tell a story a lot, you remember everything, right? Right, right. Right. Well, this is really exciting because we're doing a lot of new things for 2020. We're going to we can do emergency podcasts if we need to. We don't have to be on live every day, you know, every Tuesday at the exact time. So we should be able to get a lot more people because anytime someone wants to come on, we can just set it up and do it. Lickety split. You know Where are you going to post our podcasts at, Billy? They will be on a they're going to be on iTunes, Stitcher. They're going to be on everything. 
Okay. Yeah, they're going to be all over the place, and we're going to we're going to pimp it out on uh, on at Own a Horse, which is our Twitter feed at BKLRF mm-hmm. at uh, the Michelle Yu. We got our sponsors back, Delmar, Santa Anita. Thank you so much. Working on Taylor Made, even though we're going to just give them credit for this show. Um, so my boy Travis White, if you're listening, we need you. Uh, and it's going to be. It, I just think it's going to be great because we could do so many different things. We're, we don't have a time crunch. Um, you know, we're not pressured to do it at that time. We don't have babies screaming in the car, which I happen to like, but some people, <laughs> you know, may not like that. Um, and I think it's just going to be really cool. So what did, uh, uh, there were some races over the weekend. Do you want to just hit them really quick? Yeah, we just had the La Cunada and the Las Anagas and the Calucan Queen were the three stakes races that we had at Santa Anita last weekend. Um, they were okay. They were okay. They were good little races. I they mean, were, Mother uh, Mother, I thought was very impressive on the comeback. Yes, she was. And big props to um, Andrew Lerner because his Queen Bee to you has just all of a sudden and at age seven become like an absolute graded stakes win machine. Yeah. And, and that she, was a really good race. She, her and Derlou threw down. You know my uh, affiliation with Derlou. Oh, no. Yeah, Derlou was a Solana Beach sales purchase and sell to um, Susan Chu. I believe. Isn't it Susan Chu? Uh, yeah. She, um, Bio, is that Bauma Corporation? Right? Yes, Bauma Corporation. Yeah. And Baffert bought her at the uh, Facing Tipton Miami sale, not last year, but two years ago as a two-year-old uh, for $800,000. Wow. Yeah, part of Solana Beach sales. Tom McCrothlin got her ready. And uh, so we're big Derlou fans. We needed her to win that graded stake. That had done oh, wonders sorry. for our business. It but was a, she, had, okay. she ran really well. She ran phenomenally well, and I think she's getting better, as is Queen BDU. Congratulations to those connections. Mother, mother, we mentioned um, the Mathesons. Who, you remember Hannah Banana, who was on our show, mm-hmm. who subbed for you that day. Yeah. You were very jealous. <laughs> a little bit. Um, and then we had an eye-catching performance by um, Jolie Olympica in her stateside debut for Richard Mandela, winning the Las Cienegas in a course record time. Uh, congratulations to owner Rick Porter and Mr. Mandela. They look like they have another possible superstar on she their hands. She wasn't even. Mike said she wasn't even blowing. I just hope she can't go like a mile and a quarter because I, yeah, I, right? I want to have the corner on those long distance races out here. So um, <laughs> congratulations to them. Michelle, what else do we have coming up this week at Santa Anita? Okay, so coming up this week, we have racing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Do note there's Monday racing. As far as fun things, we have $2 beer on Fridays. Saturday for stakes races, we had the Unusual Heat Turf Classic, the Cal Cup Sprint, the Sunshine Millions, uh, Philly Mare Turf Sprint, the Cal Cup Derby, and the Cal Cup Oaks, so it's obviously Cal Cup Day. It is the Bulldog Derby at Santa Anita oh. and the California Wine Festival. Wow. I don't think I can bring red, though. I'm bringing Charlotte. Are you? Yeah, she's entered. Whoa. I can't wait to watch that. A red can't, and, red can't walk to the front door, let alone run I in a race. <laughs> and then Sunday is the Astra uh, and Monday is the grade three megahertz. And it's also dollar beers, dollar sodas, $2 hot dogs. That's a fantastic weekend of racing at Santa Anita. Michelle, this is going to be so much fun this year. I appreciate your time. Thank you to Jason Beam for coming on the show today. Once again, thank, thank you, you. Jason Beam for teaching us what to do. Absolutely. Thank you, Jason, for making this all happen. Uh, thank you, Santa Anita and Del Mar. And so far, TaylorMade, we'll see how much longer they're on board. We're looking for sponsors. And thank you, Billy. We, uh, you know, we, Billy kind of talked about putting the, putting the can on this. We did. We talked about, we wondered if it had reached its tipping point. 
And uh, Michelle said there are a lot of people out there with great stories about horse ownership and about horse racing. And at a time in our society and in our horse racing world, in this little tiny world that when you're in it, it feels big, but in the, in the real world, it doesn't feel as big. And we need all the positive reinforcement and positive support and people like Jason Beam and people like Michelle Yu um, who dedicate their time to this game and who love this game and who love these animals. And I think it's really important that we continue to get our message out. And hopefully this podcast will be one of the ones that does that in a positive light. Yep. I've got a nice list of people that hopefully we'll be able to start contacting and with our new flexible schedule hopefully they'll say yes love it thanks michelle we'll talk to you soon we'll see you next week or maybe even this weekend who knows we could do something we could do something tomorrow if we want i know right (laughs) cool all right you've been listening to the horse ownership experience we really appreciate it thanks for listening you can contact uh, me billy koch uh, billy at littleredfeather.com uh, tweet to Michelle at the Michelle U at BKLRF is my Twitter handle. Tweet the show at Own a Horse. We'll get this up as soon as possible, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Bye.